the scripture reading this morning is from Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Sechem. Sechem? and to the oak of Moriah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country, to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. So as we begin to talk about Abraham, I can't help but think of being in Sunday school, right? Uh, Can we? Father Abraham. Last week, we started a series that will go through May talking about salvation history, okay, thinking about the big story of the Bible, the big story of the world, and the big story of our lives. And we, we talked about the problem of sin and evil, that sin isn't just the things that you do that are bad. Sin is actually rooted in a broken relationship that we all have with God. Okay? And so the, the problem is not fixing the bad stuff that we do. The problem is fixing our broken relationship with God, with ourselves, with each other, and with creation. That's the big question of the Bible. What is God going to do to solve the problem? So the beginning of Genesis is really like the scrawling yellow words in Star Wars, right? It sets the stage for the whole rest of the movie. Now you know where we are, and we jump into the story. And today we're going to explore the meaning of this little children's song of Father Abraham. Of course, in the passage, if you notice, he wasn't Abraham yet. He later gets called Abraham. He's Abram. So a man named Abram was living with his family in Ur. This is a modern, it's in modern day Iraq. Okay, so it's kind of on the other end of the fertile crescent from Israel. And the Lord came to him and gave him a command saying that he should leave his father's house and go to a new land that God will show him. Now, the scale of this command is often lost on us because we live in a society with a lot of mobility and a lot of freedom. Okay? There are a lot of people in this room that aren't from here, but moved to here. A lot of you have kids and grandkids that moved away. Just something that happens in our society. But this is a society where it did not happen. Okay? You did not move away from your family house. Abraham came from a patriarchal society, 
So it was built around a house and built around one father, okay, one head of the household. Okay, there were local towns, there were some empires, but really, life wasn't built around your town, it wasn't built around a state, it wasn't built around a nation even. It was built around your family. The children were trained up in the work of the profession of the father. You lived in the house of your father. You worked the land of your father. You worshiped the gods of your father. In fact, in that time, your household would have certain gods. There'd be idols to the gods that your family worshiped. And nearby where you lived, there would be a high place, a place where you would go to make sacrifices to the god that you worshiped. And you learned all this from your father. Hey, in fact, to keep a patriarchal society, it, you always had um, inheritances, but the eldest son always got the bigger inheritance. Okay, the rule was the eldest son always got twice the inheritance that all the other sons had. Why? Because then there would be one central piece of property that the family could be based around. So you didn't move away. You built houses. Okay, you took over other family members' houses. Okay, you lived on the family. How many of you remember a family farm that was like this? Okay, some of us could still remember this, but in this society, it was even stronger than the family farms that we, we know. You just didn't go away. You didn't go leave all this. Okay, if you went away, you had no sheep. You had no fields. You had no vineyards. Okay, you had no land to plant. You didn't know where you stood with the gods that were of, over in that area. You had to be here where you knew where your gods were and who your gods were. So you, you wouldn't leave. You wouldn't leave your household. In fact, there's this great story that shows the meaning of this. It's a Midrash story. Midrash is sort of Jewish teaching. So these are expanded stories on the Bible. So not a real story, but a later story that a rabbi told about Abraham going to leave his father's house and his father's gods. So in the story, Abraham goes into this part of the house where all of the false idols were, all these wooden idols. And Abraham goes in there after God commands him to leave with an axe. Okay? And he cuts down all these wooden idols, all, cuts all these idols apart except for one. And Abraham takes the axe and he puts it in the hands of the idol that he leaves. His father comes in really mad. What happened here? What happened to all these idols? Abraham sort of says, well, I think it's pretty clear what happened here, right? He's got the axe. He just took out all these other idols. And the father said, but yeah, but Abraham, these are just lifeless pieces of wood. They can't do anything. To which Abraham responds, then why do you worship them? See, to leave your father's house is to leave your father's gods. And this story, though, fake helps illustrate this point that Abraham is stepping out in a really brave way. He's leaving security, comfort, familiar, a sure future. Gods he knew because this voice, this other God, tells him, leave, I've got something to show you. And the most amazing part of the story that most people seem to miss is that God says, what does God say? Not go to Cana, not, not go to, 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 to uh, Jerusalem, not go to... What does God say? Go to the place that I'm going to show you. Go to the place that I'm going to show you. God does not give Abraham the whole destination. He just says, go, I'll show you where to go when you get there. And this drives me crazy about God, by the way. 
Okay? When God asks me to do something, I would love to know the whole plan. Anybody else? I'd like to know how this is going to work out. I'd like to know where we're going. Give me the destination. Where are the rest areas along the way? What do I need to pack for whatever you're calling me to do, God? But he just, Abraham, God just comes to Abraham and says, no, go. I'll show you where you're going when you get there. But this command also comes with promises. God promises to make this childless. How old was he? Anybody in the passage? 75-year-old man. Okay, this childless 75-year-old man, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you, those who dishonor you, then I'm going to curse them. And then the phrase that Abraham may not have known what to do with, God says to Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. What an odd notion that the whole world is going to be blessed through this one guy who's 75, doesn't have kids yet. So Abraham, though, goes. This is one of the spots in the Bible I wish there was a little more detail. Like, for instance, the conversation with Sarah. Okay? Sarah, so I heard this voice, right? Well, Abraham, where are we going? Well, I don't know, but we'll know when we get there. So you want us to just leave, right? And to go, he would have to go around the Fertile Crescent and then probably south into the land of the Canaanites, not knowing where he's heading. This is months and months and months of journey for a place you don't know where you're going. But he goes. And as he comes into Israel, he comes to this place called Shechem and builds an altar there because there God promises that this is the land I'm going to give to your offspring. Crazy promise. So about this offspring. At the time of the call, Abraham is how old? 75, but he doesn't have kids right away. And Sarah doesn't have any kids. She's probably a few years younger than he is, but she's not that much younger than he is. And even though this is a different time and people lived longer, okay, once you're 75, the likelihood of building a nursery in your house is going down dramatically. Okay, So understand the craziness. So Abraham has a son named Ishmael with his maidservant Hagar. That sounds very strange to us. That would be weird in our society. But in a patriarchal society where you have to have male offspring to keep up the patriarchal family home, you have to have a male heir. And so there were all kinds of different rules that we would look at as strange today, but in those days were actually very important. Okay, so he has a son named Ishmael. But God still promises that Sarah is going to have a child. And partially does so because there's so much strife between uh, Hagar and Sarah over this child. In Genesis 18, if you go read it later, three men come to visit Abraham and Sarah. The language that Abraham uses, as well as the description, makes us think that one of these three men is God in human form. Okay? Theologians have often wondered if this is one of the appearances of Jesus uh, before his birth. Okay? These three men come and they explain to Abraham in the tent that Sarah would be pregnant. Sarah laughs at this. She's sitting outside the tent listening to this. Okay, but by the time, by, by the time this, of this, Sarah's about 91, 92, okay? So if she's thinking about diapers, it's not for a baby. <laughs> 91, I would laugh too if God tried, but you better be careful what you laugh at God about. Indeed, she does have a son, they name him Isaac, and as he grows, 
It, be, it seems like those promises of God are actually for Isaac. Interesting, not for the elder son. That would have been Ishmael. But for the younger son, Isaac. Then in Genesis 22, we get this really strange incident, instance where God tests Abraham. He tells him to go take his son, his only son. That's how the text says it. Take your son, your only son Isaac, who you love, and go offer Isaac as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. There's a, if you go back and read the story again, we don't have time to read it here. You notice a couple important things. Notice that God does not tell him the exact location again. He always seems to be telling Abraham to go, but not quite where. So probably there are some, sacrifice, some sacrificial areas where he's kind of at, where he's heading, where he can go. And the, the place where he goes to sacrifice Isaac is traditionally held to be Mount, uh, Mount Moriah, which is where the temple in Jerusalem is now, according to tradition. Notice also, Abraham doesn't have to ask God how to sacrifice a child. That seems like an odd request, but this is something God's did. God changed their mind. God's demanded lots of sacrifices. Uh, God's would demand your child. It's not even that strange, it seems, to Abraham. We get no conversation. We just go. The only conversation we do have is Isaac, who in the story asks about the sacrifice. We sort of miss that detail. That means Isaac is old enough to go on the journey. He's old enough to speak, and he's done enough sacrifices to know we forgot the lamb. Okay, maybe Isaac's 10, 11, 12 years old walking up this hill to this sacrifice. So what is Abraham doing? Well, on one hand, this is the way gods were. They demanded sacrifice. But also, I think if you read the story again, there's a big hint in the text. Isaac asks about that lamb, and Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. God will provide the lamb. So that makes me wonder if, if he's really going to sacrifice Isaac or if ultimately the test isn't whether he, or not he will sacrifice Isaac. The real question, the real test is, does Abraham trust the character of God enough to know that God wouldn't actually ask him for that? That God would provide the lamb? Because after all, isn't that the harder test? Okay? I'm not real tempted Maybe sometimes I'm tempted to sacrifice my children, okay? But not really. I wouldn't go through with it. But I'm tempted all the time to question God's motives, to question God's intentions, to question if God is really for me or not. Those I can really understand. And isn't that going back to last week in the garden, the temptation? Did God really say? Does God really want... Okay? That's the whole sin problem right here as Abraham is going up the mountain. Does God really want what's best for you? And then right at that moment where I'm sure Abraham is so struggling to get Isaac to sit there, he had to have bound his own son. A voice tells him to stop. And there's a ram caught in a thicket near there and God does provide the lamb just the way Abraham said on the way up the mountain. And the result is staggering. All these other gods, these gods Abraham had left behind in Ur, they would demand a sacrifice. But this is a God who provides the sacrifice. This is a God totally different than any other God that you can find 
in, in any place in the world at this time. Totally unique. Not a God that demands, a God that provides. Okay? Not a God that um, makes you go through everything, but a God of blessing, of promises, of covenant. This is a very different kind of God that Abraham is experiencing here. Think about how radical it is. This God's character, but also a patriarch of an old age. A matriarch, a lot of times in the stories, the the women are maybe footnotes, if not even named. But in this family and in this story, the women play an important role too. A nation from one child, a promise to the second oldest, and on top of that, a God that gives grace, a God that provides instead of demands. So Isaac is spared. He grows up to marry a Rebecca. They have two sons, a hairy one named Esau. Okay, I have always thought that would be a great name for a big hairy dog. Esau. And another younger brother, a swindler, a trickster named Jacob. And here's the, here's the pattern, right? We've got a younger son who is actually the one who's going to be the son of the promise. Jacob wrestles with God his whole life, even doing it once, literally, and eventually follows God. He has 12 sons. And guess what he does? He doesn't favor the older ones. Favors the younger ones. To the dismay of the older ones. He has a younger son named Joseph, who he favors even giving him a special gift. A cloak of some kind. His other sons get jealous, comparing their gift sizes. We know kids do that, right, at Christmas. Okay? Hey, he got more gifts than me. And as they get older, they count up the money. Okay? You spend more money on them for their birthday than you. Okay, we could see how this would work. So they get mad, but instead of killing Joseph, they sell him into slavery. And amazingly, okay, instead of this son being the sacrificial son that should die, it's through this sacrificial son that actually hope is provided for this family. Okay? That actually when, when a... Uh, uh, a drought comes and there's no food. Joseph has been in Egypt storing up food. And Abraham and his family are able to go there and eat and survive the drought. Okay, so so the, the one that was the problem is the solution. Those 12 sons have many sons and daughters. And eventually they become the 12 tribes of Israel. And as we go into next week, we'll talk more about those tribes. But do you see the patterns? The favoring of the younger, the grace for the people, God's propensity to use these flawed people in some kind of plan that goes well beyond what we're seeing in this individual story. And these promises of Abraham are fulfilled. His family becomes a great nation. But the larger promise, that's the big question. In you, all the families of the world would be blessed. How is that promise lived out? Well, this family of tribes eventually becomes a nation and a people group. And it's into this family that Jesus is born. And both Matthew and Luke and their genealogies make sure we understand that Jesus is from the line of Abraham. Okay, that part of what the New Testament authors are trying to make us understand is that this promise that started way back with Abraham, that the world is going to be blessed through these people, is fulfilled in Jesus. 
that Jesus comes from this family to be a blessing to all families. And in Paul's words, then, we are grafted into this tree. When we were in Israel, we saw a number of olive trees. Olive trees are famous for this. That you can take a branch of an olive tree and you can put it in a different olive tree and it'll grow there. Okay? You can have different stems of different trees. You can graft the trees in. And what Paul says is that you and I are grafted into this Jewish tree. That we are part of this story because of Christ. That we, like an undeserving younger brother, are blessed despite our sins. So Abraham's family has grown and grown and blessed all the families of the world because through them, Jesus came. So if I had to sum this up, in other words... Father Abraham had many sons and daughters, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Abraham's faith, that he was willing to go, that he was willing to risk, that he was willing to trust you with his son. May we have that kind of faith so that through us others may be blessed as well. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.